Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. After post-secondary students had to deal with online classes and reduced services during the pandemic, universities across Canada are now jacking up tuition fees, some by as much as 50%. So what can students do about this? In this talk, Comrade Hawley discusses the lessons of the 2012 Quebec student strike. I think uh, I just want to emphasize that this is an important history to learn from the 2012 Quebec student strike. Uh, we're seeing here in Alberta, and I know this is the case across English Canada, uh, large tuition hikes, 7% per year, sometimes up to 50% for, for various programs. Uh, and this is pushing lots of students, uh, working class students in particular, into poverty and desperation, really. Uh, some are having to like literally choose between tuition and food. Uh, some have been just driven out of school entirely uh, and, and uh, just tons of problems like this. So uh, I think this is a very important experience to learn from because the, the results speak for themselves, really. Uh, it, Quebec students have a long history of, of struggle, of fighting for their demands. And this is why tuition is so much lower in Quebec, uh, about 2,600 per year rather than 6,000. Uh, so I think um, just in, in preparing for this, I read a lot of uh, articles that had different explanations. You know, how did they do this? Uh, how did they build this incredible movement and all these things? And of course, I'll get into that. But uh, I found one quote that I thought was quite interesting. They, and this is a, a widespread idea. They said, uh, Quebec society represents a superior model of humanity. Uh, so this is really totally useless, this idea. What, like, what are we supposed to do with it? How are we going to get to this uh, superior society? I, I have no idea. Uh, but thankfully, it's totally wrong. Uh, conditions in Quebec are, are similar to the rest of the capitalist world. Uh, oppression, attacks on the working class, uh, you know, the government uh, basically uh, going uh, hell-bent on austerity uh, and all these things. It's, it's the same as everywhere else. So uh, the, the difference comes in, again, in that the students in Quebec fight for their demands. Uh, so we're, of course, going to focus on 2012 and, and this history and the lessons but I do want to talk a little bit about the background and uh, hopefully maybe some uh, comrades can expand on this a little in the discussion uh, if there's anything important they think I, I should have uh, gone into more detail on. So I think um, the most important thing to take away just from the background is the, uh, the traditions and the two general tendencies that have always existed in the Quebec student movement, basically since the 60s. So the first tendency is this pretty much bourgeois tendency, uh, focusing on tactics like lobbying, petitioning, boycotting, and these things to try to get the government to, to listen to reason, basically. Uh, and then there's another uh, more radical militant tendency, uh, which is instead based in the streets, democratic control from the rank and file on student strikes, shutting down the campuses, uh, and, and these kinds of tactics. Uh, and this tendency historically has been inspired by international movements, uh, including things like 1968 France, which I will uh, talk a little bit more about later. Uh, and the history of the movement, I think uh, to the, the best way to kind of summarize the, the early years from the 60s 
is that it had a lot of evidence uh, that these militant tactics, rather than the petitioning, boycotting, and all of this, uh, were the correct tactics, that they actually worked. Uh, it, they tended to be the tactics that would win in the student strikes of this period, uh, and the government would tend to be forced to back down. So because of this, uh, students flocked into the, the radical student unions that were based on these, on these tactics and these ideas. Uh, and this tendency became the, the dominant one in the movement uh, because, again, of this experience of the correctness of this approach. Uh, and then if we go on all the way to the 90s, uh, there was a, a big uh, series of two major defeats. And the main student union federation, uh, which was based on these ideas, which is called AMIC, uh, collapsed. And it was replaced by two new federations, uh, the uh, Federation of University Students, the FEUQ, and Federation of College Students, the FECQ. Uh, and these really represented the other tendency, the right-wing tendency, uh, which was against mass struggle, essentially. Uh, but the 90s was this era of capitalist crisis, uh, and the, the governments were starting to look for uh, places to cut, really big cuts. Uh, and so uh, they moved to try and cut something like $2 billion from education in the 90s, uh, which today would be $4 billion, and that's uh, it's about 40% of what would be needed to give everyone free tuition in all of Canada. So that's a, that's a huge, huge cut, $2 billion at this time. Uh, and the government succeeded under the watch of the FEUQ and FECQ. Uh, so, um, again, proving their tactics uh, were limited. Uh, and then finally, going into the 2000s, uh, a group of radical students formed uh, a federation called ASSE, which uh, going into 2012 led about half of the, the campuses. Uh, and uh, this is the organization that plays a key role in the 2012 strike. Uh, so this was basically an attempt to revive the, the radical, the militant traditions of the past. Uh, and um, uh, they, uh, they entered various struggles in the 2000s leading up to 2012. And this is where they gained a lot of the necessary experience uh, and tactics that they needed for 2012. So this included a, a 2005 student strike, which was a huge movement uh, in Quebec. Uh, and uh, the 2005 strike was betrayed by the FEUQ and FECQ, who basically went behind the backs of the membership, who had democratically voted, decided to strike, uh, but they went. They basically made a deal with the government instead. Uh, so 2005 was ultimately a victory, but it was a limited victory because of this. Uh, and there was a 2007 uh, student strike attempt by assay, uh, and they had a seriously mistaken outlook at this time. Uh, they they passed a resolution which said that they wanted to uh, destroy the other student union federations, the FECQ and FEUQ. So totally sectarian, just totally alienating the students in these unions. Uh, and this is just incredibly harmful. The movement needs as many campuses as possible. Uh, and needs to shut down these campuses. So this is just a huge opening and a huge weakness. And 2007 uh, failed to, uh, to get off the ground ultimately. Uh, but again, there's a lot of lessons learned here by the assay leadership, as well as by the students themselves in these struggles. Uh, so moving on, trying to get towards 2012, uh, we need to understand the, the general political context and, and especially the economic context. So uh, there's a, an important shift going into 2012, which is the 
Great Recession of 2008. So although previously uh, leading up to 2008, the government did have uh, various austerity programs, it seemed like they were trying to raise tuition pretty much every couple of years, uh, they would tend to back down uh, in the face of opposition, in the face of student strikes. Uh, but 2008 was this huge economic crisis, really devastating for ordinary uh, and working people. And because of this crisis, the Quebec budget was uh, in shambles. It was the first deficit in 11 years in 2009. Uh, and, and really, someone had to pay for this crisis. Someone had to, uh, you know, tighten their belts, essentially, as the, the phrase tends to go. Uh, and of course, the ruling class did not want to do this. They did not want to sacrifice their profits. So that meant the working class had to pay in their view. So they were pushing to cut programs like the $7 a day childcare, to raise tuition, uh, introduce user fees in healthcare, and, and just other examples of austerity like this that sound a lot like what we see today. Uh, so going into 2010, the deficit was $3 billion. Uh, and uh, this, this huge deficit, uh, and the government was, uh, was basically determined to uh, get this to a, a balanced budget as soon as possible. So it was it was totally biblical at this time. The uh, the Liberal Party government, the Minister of Finance, was actually talking about how uh, Quebec needed a cultural revolution. People needed to learn that you know there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everything costs money. They need to tighten their belts and start paying more for pretty much everything and get used to paying for everything. So there's there, it, it, there's so many. Uh, uh, different aspects to this. The first is that this is an announcement of, of huge austerity. Uh, it's also indicating essentially that uh, uh, they want to uh, uh, bring in future and future austerity, and this would be essentially only the beginning to try and get people used to it. Uh, and as well, it, the, the fact that he says revolution, it, it, it almost sounds like, you know, he knows people are going to fight back because the Quebec students and, and unions had such a tradition of fighting, but he's going to, he's going to fight back and it's going to be like a revolution in the sense that there would have to be a struggle over this. Uh, and the plan, of course, would be to fight back and, and try to break the unions. Uh, so uh, this is, this is kind of the, uh, the immediate uh, context and plans of the government going into 2010-2011. Uh, but already, even before they announced the tuition hike, because of this kind of talk, uh, the, the assay leadership, they knew that this was coming. Uh, so they already started preparing, you know, this cultural revolution stuff. So I think um, we hear this stuff, uh, uh, Quebec students are just built different, uh, they're just, uh, you know, different, uh, always born ready to struggle, essentially. This is just absolutely untrue. Uh, if we listen to the words of one of the leaders of, uh, of ASSE, who's I'll just call GND, he, uh, he actually said, uh, according to him, that in 2009, only about 10 or 15% of the students were against tuition hikes. Uh, the others were either neutral or actually in favor of the hikes. And I think this shouldn't really be a surprise. Uh, the first thing is that uh, the government's whole line, their whole explanation was people need to sacrifice to balance the budget. We don't want to do it, but it has to happen. There's no other way. Uh, and, and unless you challenge this idea, it can be convincing. Uh, and as well, uh, students just simply don't 
want to enter the struggle. Uh, and this is normal for, for any person, really. It's not, a, it's not a thing that people like to do. They want to go to class or in the case of workers, go to, go to work, live their life, live in peace uh, and, uh, and try to get by. They don't want to enter the struggle unless they have a good reason and they're convinced it's necessary and that it can win. Uh, so it, it was at this stage uh, important to actually prepare and convince the students. And I want to just share a quote from GND that I think illustrates this. He says, uh, it breaks our heart to have to strike. We'd rather be studying. So he, he addresses this real uh, correct feeling that the students just wanted to focus on their education by pointing out the strike was necessary, although also undesirable. Uh, and then starting from this point, uh, they had to convince the students. Uh, and, and part of this is really uh, answering the most basic questions. What is the tuition hike? Why is it bad? You know, why is it unnecessary? How is it gonna affect students? Uh, and how can we fight it and how can we win? And, and actually to convince people of this. Uh, so they uh, already, again, in 2010, they started going to the campuses, handing out leaflets, handing out posters, uh, sorry, putting up posters, handing out copies of their paper. Uh, I think it's quite interesting. One, uh, one thing GND actually said uh, the next year in, in 2013 was that uh, their printer in their office was just running all the time, like basically 24 seven, so much that it actually broke and they had to get a new one. Uh, so this is the incredible amount of uh, material they produced to, to, to spread ideas. Uh, and, and he emphasizes as well, and this is really quite important, that they went there and they talked to one student at a time, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, putting in the effort to convince every single student of the need for a strike to fight back. Uh, and, and then uh, from this point, from answering these basic questions, they also tried to raise the sights of the students to general political problems and international situation as well. Uh, and I think we can really see this if we look at their paper, which is called Ultimatum. Uh, I'll just mention a couple articles. Uh, there's this one article which directly addresses this government line that, you know, it's necessary to raise tuition to balance the budget. It talks specifically about how the money exists in society, but it's being used for things like tax cuts for the rich and not for improving the lives of, of ordinary and working class students. Um, and uh, there's another article as well talking about how students would be affected by the hike. It has an analysis of how many would likely have to quit school. Uh, and articles explaining why student strikes work with evidence from the history of the Quebec student movement. Uh, and then they also talk about political problems in Quebec, such as uh, the general austerity program, raising fees in healthcare, uh, and, uh, and, and, and other examples. Uh, so uh, I just want to like emphasize here, this is how you win people over to your movement, but it's also how you actually convince them uh, that it's worth the effort to be involved, you know, inspire them, show them that they're part of something that's bigger than themselves. This isn't, this is about the tuition hike, but it's not just about the tuition hike. Uh, and and uh, this, this includes the fact that they were part of an international movement, an international wave of struggles in 2012. Uh, which included the the Arab Spring uh, revolutions, I think, uh, two years before, uh, and uh, this uh, these international movements inspired many students uh, as as well. And and part of the 
ideas which the leadership from ASA took to the students was this, uh, this idea that they're part of an international struggle. And actually the, uh, the 2012 strike is, uh, is often nicknamed the, the Maple Spring, which is a play on words with Arab Spring in French. The word Arab and Maple sound uh, very similar. Uh, so you can see how they, they conceive this as part of the international struggle against oppression and exploitation. Uh, so I want to read you a quote from an editorial in their paper that illustrates this really well, I think. They say, all over the world, in Spain, Italy, Greece, Portugal, Britain, Syria, Egypt, or Tunisia, the people are revolting to claim what is theirs. After the Arab Spring, will we witness a Quebecois Spring? And the article, of course, goes on to answer this. It says, the response from Essay is categorical. We must. This semester will begin with a massive mobilization on all campuses in Quebec. More and more we hear in the corridors of colleges and universities a whisper, like a rumor, three letters, always the same, UGI. This rumor since last spring has become more and more insistent, UGI, unlimited general strike. Given the magnitude of this challenge, no hesitation can be permitted. We need to mobilize ourselves right now in great number and with great determination. It is up to us. So. This is how they talk to the students. This is how they uh, inspire them. You know, we're going to not just fight tuition, but fight oppression and injustice in all its forms, along with uh, the world working class. Uh, so, um, sorry, I think there's two lessons here that I just want to emphasize. Uh, the first thing is that you you need this leadership. You know, you need people who are familiar with uh, with the ideas, with the situation, and can go and actually convince people to be involved in your movement. Because a movement needs to be prepared. It's not just a totally spontaneous thing. Uh, there's, there's elements of spontaneity, of course, but uh, again, you require preparation as well. Uh, and then uh, the second thing I just want to say is that leadership, uh, it, it also needs ideas to, to win people over. Uh, and this means things like clear demands, knowing why you're fighting, how you can fight. So you can convince that, convince people that, you know, we should fight and we can win. Uh, and then I just want to bring up one more aspect before I get back to the chronology, which is the democracy. Uh, this is a long tradition in the Quebec student movement, uh, having very democratic student unions. Uh, and, and one of the main uh, means of this really is uh, holding general assemblies, which was uh, customary to do at least once a year and sometimes more. And at these assemblies, the, the students, every student was welcome. They could come and debate the direction of the union as well as elect the leadership uh, and challenge the leadership's uh, activities for the previous year as well. Uh, and these assemblies could be called at any time by any student just by getting enough signatures. And uh, this is always the, the basis for ASA and, and the other uh, um, radical unions, this democracy from the rank and file. And this is really a huge strength. Uh, because of this, a lot of students tended to look at their student union as their main political vehicle, you know, not, um, not, not to the government or to their uh, MLAs or, or what have you, uh, but specifically primarily to their student union, because they saw it as something that genuinely uh, was was speaking for their demands and is something that they controlled, you know, and could determine the direction of. 
Uh, and this is why they had incredible involvement from the students as well. These GAs, they would have large, large numbers of students because, again, they felt like they were in control. So I, I, you hear this sometimes today that, you know, the uh, student, student union leaders, they complain like no one shows up to the meetings. Uh, we just can't get anyone to mobilize. And uh, I mean, I think this shows really that they don't show up because they don't feel like they're in control. It feels pointless. Their lives are already hard enough. Uh, so th this is a, a third lesson I want to bring up. You need that democracy. And this is going to be uh, a recurring theme. Uh, so getting closer and closer to uh, 2012, uh, they started to uh, ramp up the preparations, building the momentum, building up the mobilization. Uh, so this, this meant organizing a series of demonstrations uh, in the fall of 2010, and they did this in fall 2011 as well. Uh, and uh, they held a one-day student strike in, uh, in the fall as well. This, uh, this one-day student strike had 60,000 students on strike uh, and thousands demonstrated outside the hotel. So the preparation is already starting to bear fruit here. People are already getting involved and mobilized. Uh, but this was also basically a show of force saying to the government, you know, if you don't back down, this is uh, the kind of thing you're going to face. Uh, and they at the same time issued an ultimatum as well to the government saying uh, we're going to hold a uh, student strike vote if you don't back down. Uh, so finally, in March 2011 was when they announced the hike in, in full detail. Uh, which would be uh, $1,600, which is about a 70% tuition increase. And this just fueled the growing anger and the mobilization. Uh, so it, then in fall 2011, there was uh, another one-day strike, uh, November 10th. Some, uh, I think, 30,000 participated just in the March, and even more were on strike. So this is already bigger than the biggest protest we've ever seen in Edmonton, I believe. Uh, and uh, biggest rally since 2005. And just to kind of illustrate how people saw this, uh, I, I would say students, this is where they started to see their power, see how much support there was for the movement uh, and, and basically just say, you know, holy shit, this is a lot of people who, who agree with this. Uh, but on the other hand, this terrified the government. Uh, I learned that you can actually buy keywords on Google. And then if someone searches for those words, uh, they will get shown an advertisement that you chose. Uh, and the government did this. Uh, they purchased keywords, student strike, student demonstration, FEUQ, FECQ, and ASA. So people would see their ads if they Googled it. Um, uh, and then also in fall 2011, the one more point to mention is that uh, the three main federations, ASA, FEUQ, and FECQ, formed uh, Class A, the, which is basically the enlarged strike committee of ASA. Uh, so this is uh, this is really important, uh, it, it, specifically because it's an anti-sectarian thing, uh, to actually helping forge the unity between the three main student unions and uniting their, their democratic decision-making, uh, sorry, the three main federations. Uh, and I, I want to just illustrate the mood at the time, and then we'll get into the strike votes and the beginning of the strike. So uh, I would say the mood it was really electric. There was this huge anger and energy to fight. And uh, I'm going to read a quote from GND that was used to mobilize the students that I think uh, gives a good idea of this. He says, uh, never forget 
the people who want to increase tuition fees, cut public services, privatize public health care, the people who want to weaken, in other words, abolish environmental regulations, who despise women's rights, indigenous rights, and the rights of all minorities, these people who have worked tirelessly over decades to prevent workers from forming unions, all of these people are the same. They are few in number, they control everything, they always want to control more. They have common interests and a common political project. There was a time in Quebec, in Canada, not so long ago, that a minority like this, that controls the political and economic institutions of a country that shares common interests, not so long ago, we would call this a class. We need to stop being afraid of words. We must call these people by their name. These people are the ruling class. They are the bourgeoisie. The struggle against the tuition increase, the struggle of those who are indignant all over the world must be called by its name. It is a class struggle. It, this is a struggle of the minority that owns everything against the majority that owns nothing and vice versa. A gluttonous and vulgar minority that sees life as a business opportunity, a tree as a natural resource, and a child as a future employee. When we are in the streets fighting against the tuition increase, it is also this that we are fighting against. So again, this is how you actually inspire people. Uh, we, we sometimes hear, you know, no one wants to hear about socialism or about class struggle. Uh, well, they in Quebec, they built this enormous student movement uh, based on these ideas. Uh, so the, the strike votes themselves, uh, after the, the period of building, uh, the student unions finally started holding general assemblies to vote on the strike uh, in, in around February 2012. Uh, and this includes all of the Class A schools, which was most of them. Uh, and these assemblies were just packed. Uh, you can find photos of just these giant university gymnasiums just full of students. But this doesn't even really capture it. Some of them were so, so packed that many students couldn't even get into the main gymnasium. There was just too many people there. Uh, so they would have to go to another large room and basically Skype in to watch the assembly uh, from, from another room and to participate. Uh, and in these assemblies, they debated the strike. The, the two sides, those for and those against, uh, made their arguments. And uh, they... Uh, uh, they held votes, the students decided democratically, and more and more campuses were voting to go on strike. Uh, and they finally reached their strike floor of 20,000 students on February 9th, with more continuing to roll in. Uh, and I, just on these arguments, uh, I just want to mention that the, the ones in favor of the strike, the, the students who were... Um, uh, organizing the student strike and, and this group, the ones, again, the ones in favor, uh, they were known as the red squares because they wore like red felt squares uh, on their clothing. And then the ones against the strike were called the green squares because they wore green squares. Uh, so let's get into March. So on the 22nd of March, 2012, 300,000 out of 400,000 students were on strike. Uh, and there was a demonstration that day, it just absolutely enormous. Uh, something like 100,000 to 200,000 people were there. Uh, and it was so busy, so filled with people uh, that you couldn't even get cell phone reception. There was too much interference from everyone else's cell phones and from all the people. 
And the pictures are, are also just quite amazing from this. The this, this sea of students, red signs, red banners, because red was the color of class A, uh, you know, wearing costumes. You can see various flags from uh, regimes in the Middle East, the, the solidarity uh, with the, uh, the Middle Eastern revolutions in the Arab Spring. Uh, so just this incredible revolutionary energy was what there was at this time. Uh, the students were seeing this, this mass support the strike had uh, and this, this uh, increased their confidence enormously. Uh, and the media uh, leading up to this had been pretty much totally silent, especially the English press, English language press. Uh, in researching this, if you look at the English press, you get the impression that this movement just, you know, spontaneously erupted out of a hole in the ground or whatever. Suddenly 100,000 people were on the streets. Uh, CBC actually put out an article with like a chronology of events in the student strike. And it starts in, I think, February 2012. Uh, so just totally, almost totally ignoring the, the period of preparation and the, the large demonstrations and mobilization for that, uh, which was obviously essential for this to, to happen. But of course, now they paid attention. Uh, so I just want to quickly mention on student strikes, uh, I just want to emphasize it isn't enough to have this many people on the streets. The student strike has to actually shut down the campuses in order to have any hope of achieving their demands, uh, among other things they also need to accomplish. Uh, so this means blocking the entrances with picket lines, preventing people from coming in. If you can't convince them, they, they have to be physically blocked. Uh, and the students did this since they had been educated on this by the past struggles and by the leadership. Uh, dozens of campuses were shut down. And uh, although May March 22nd was the biggest demonstration, the, the movement continued like this through April and May. It would have huge demonstrations with tens of thousands on the streets on pretty much a weekly basis. And then major united demos with hundreds of thousands on about a monthly basis. And uh, the uh, instructors, for the most part, once the movement got going, uh, also supported the students, the university instructors. Uh, so they would sign petitions, sending them to the education minister, calling for her resignation. Uh, and through all of this, the government was refusing to negotiate. Uh, so uh, one thing that started happening going through March and April was the government, the, the courts in particular, was passing injunctions against the picket lines. Uh, the, the Green Square students, the ones who were against the strike, uh, were suing basically to be allowed to go to class, saying it's my right to receive this commodity I paid for. Uh, you have no right to stop me. And the response from SA was, it's, it's more important to respect the collective right of the students democratically decided to, to go on strike than for any individual person to go to class. Uh, and particularly GND, he said, uh, this isn't just about one class, this is about an entire generation. Uh, and to, to break the picket lines, the university started hiring security agents from private companies uh, who were armed with batons uh, and would actually force the professors to teach in some cases. Uh, and one, uh, uh, I'll skip this example in the interest of time, uh, but uh, they did force teachers uh, to teach um, as well and, and attack demonstrations uh, and, uh, and all these things. Uh, so. Uh, I just want to mention the, the question of violence, because there were clashes with the police around this time in, in, certain, uh, in certain demonstrations. 
Uh, and some individual protesters did things like smashing windows, uh, a couple even threw Molotov cocktails at the police. Uh, and uh, we should be clear on this question. Uh, so any movement, first of all, this is very important, uh, is entitled to defend itself with whatever level of force the majority decides on collectively uh, and, and should be you know, uh, enacted as a, a collective decision. Uh, but this, this vandalism on an individual level, uh, it, it is a mistake. Uh, it, it just gives the government an excuse to crack down. You know, if you're throwing Molotovs at the cops, uh, that's a huge excuse to crack down on you. And the uh, certain section of society will support that as well, because they're, they're just simply not in favor of this uh, type of tactic. Uh, so it's really the distinction between individual and collective action. Uh, so um, I just want to give a quick example. The government... Uh, they had this thing they called the, the Plan North. So the idea was they were going to open a bunch of mines in the north of Quebec, and they would give them big government subsidies, uh, basically to uh, uh, help the capitalists. Uh, the idea was to just privatize the profits and socialize the losses. So this is, it's a huge slap in the face to the students who were being told they got to tighten their belts and accept a 70% tuition increase. Uh, so there were demonstrations against this, clashes with the police, and uh, the premier actually laughed at the students. He said, uh, we'll, uh, we'll give you a job in the North, he said. That was his solution. Uh, so students were rightfully angry. Uh, but these gave an opening for the education minister, uh, Beauchamp, to try and uh, keep Assay out of the negotiations. She used this actually as an excuse. She said, you guys won't condemn the violence. Well, uh, we're not going to negotiate with you then. Uh, and instead, she tried to just negotiate with the FEUQ and FECQ, trying to get them to betray the movement like in 2005, you know, go behind the back of the movement. Uh, now, these totally failed because the pressure from below was just too great for this to happen. Uh, so uh, uh, the Class A leadership said that uh, the decision on whether to denounce the violence had to be made at their Congress. Uh, and the Congress basically, uh, which was held a few days later, I think, uh, it pretty much affirmed uh, the tactics up to now. It said, we'll, we're going to defy this undemocratic and unjust laws. It condemned the police violence, pointing out the violence of the police is greater and more important than the violence of these isolated individuals uh, and demanded to be included in the negotiations, uh, which the education minister was forced to do uh, because of this mandate. So again, the power of the democracy, holding the leaders accountable and... Uh, and forcing the government to negotiate with the whole movement. Uh, so there were these huge uh, night demonstrations throughout May, starting with uh, starting with a, a certain demonstration, which uh, they were demonstrating against the, the supposed betrayal by Assay for entering negotiations. Uh, every day after this, there was night demonstrations. And uh, you can see this, this revolutionary energy and the anger is starting to build here. Uh, there was this uh, spontaneous night protest called uh, Goddamn Huge Demo, uh, which had just like a couple hours notice. And there was 10 or 20,000 people there. And they were chanting, uh, Charest, get out. We will find you a job in the north at the premier. Uh, so there's lots of demonstrations like this. Others called uh, Night Carnival, where people were wearing carnival-themed disguises. And another was a big fucking night demo. And many of these, again, totally spontaneous. So there's this huge revolutionary energy. But the problem 
going into May was that the government was not backing down. Uh, usually they would back down after just a few weeks of student strike. They would get scared or, or just decide it wasn't worth it anymore and give concessions. Uh, but this time they were just refusing to back down because, uh, they, the, I mean, the, the basic reason is that they didn't want to set an example for the working class. They had this widespread austerity program. And if they backed down in the face of the students, the workers would start to get ideas as well, you know, funny ideas that they didn't like, that you could actually fight austerity. Uh, so they just couldn't back down, essentially. Uh, so there's this mood of questioning going into May. People were asking, you know, we've been mobilizing like this for two and a half months. What are, what are we doing? Like, how can we take the movement forward? Uh, and uh, that's that's what I want to just talk about now. What was the way forward at this time? And I think the first thing we need to do is think about the working class. So uh, if you're not a student, don't worry. You know, I'm here to tell you you're valid and uh, talk about the working class. So uh, we need to understand that the role of students in society is, uh, sorry, we need to understand the role of students in society. Students don't have very much power uh, because of the fact that they don't have the ability to threaten the profits of the capitalists in any uh, large scale way. Uh, so, and this is of course the only thing that gets them to listen. Uh, but the working class on the other hand is responsible for all large scale production and distribution. So because of this, by going on strike, the workers can cost the, the bosses billions in profits uh, and, and shut down society. So the students need this incredible power uh, and this is the, the primary reason that governments are afraid of student strikes. They're afraid it will spread to the working class. Uh, so this is why we say the students have to go to the workers and, and win them over and get them to join the movement. Uh, and this is what the students did in France in 1968. There was this huge student movement. The students took their energy. They went to the workplaces, talked to the workers, explained the students and workers have the same struggle and they ignited a huge general strike. 11 million workers were on strike. Uh, this was the biggest general strike in the history of the world until last year. And uh, the workers were so close to being able to overthrow the state and take power that the president actually fled the country. And he said, uh, this is a quote, the communists will soon be in power in despair. Uh, so this gives you an idea of the power of spreading the movement to the working class. Uh, and, and, and of arguing that the workers and students have the same struggle, which is true. Uh, so this is what was needed in Quebec. And the potential was there. Something like 50 or 60% of the workers supported the students, according to polls. Uh, but unfortunately, the leadership didn't really have much perspective for doing this. Uh, how much time do I have, Chase? Oh, 10 more minutes. Okay. Uh, they correctly targeted the bosses. But instead of going to the workers, they did things like throwing rocks on the metro tracks, blocking uh, workplaces, uh, and, and all these things. And it's totally, totally substitutionalist, trying to substitute the students for the working class. And it even alienates the workers in some cases. If you're blocking their trains, stopping them from getting to work, they're in trouble with their boss now, that doesn't exactly win people over and win favor with them. Uh, so again, what was needed was to actually involve the working class, bring them into the movement and win them over. Uh, so uh, just quickly in the beginning of May, 
Uh, finally, the negotiations did come up with some kind of agreement. And the agreement was pretty much aimed at uh, uh, cutting the costs on administration, you know, saying we're going to cut the fat, we're going to cut some of the administration, and so your admin fees are going to be lower. But we're still going to bring in the tuition hike. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing to think that you can save uh, $1,600 per student a year on, just by cutting some, cutting some administration. Uh, and the worst part was that university administrations were allowed to just say, ah, oh, no, there's no administration we can cut, too bad. Uh, so this was, uh, this was a total game, a total ruse. And uh, the government actually admitted this the next day that it was a trick. Uh, so thankfully, uh, the, the democratic traditions again prevented this from uh, ending the movement. Uh, the FECQ and FEUQ were willing to adopt the agreement, but uh, the assay leadership with GND, he said, uh, it's not up to me, it's up to the students. You know, he said, we need to actually discuss and debate this democratically, uh, which they did. And uh, only three student unions voted to accept the deal. The other 115 rejected it. Uh, and the education minister resigned over this. Uh, so the the uh, the ruling class was totally frenzied at this, really, uh, because they're starting to get afraid the movement would spread to the working class and start giving the workers ideas, uh, which is similar to what they were afraid of if they backed down. Uh, so they decided to resort to repression. Uh, and uh, in order to do this, they passed uh, the, this infamous Bill 78. You know, the, the premier at this time, he's thinking it's been long enough. Uh, we'll just crush these kitties and uh, and move on with our lives, essentially. So they passed this Bill 78, which banned demonstrations of more than 50 people. Uh, and I think we're familiar with this kind of bill here in Alberta. Uh, and this gave the police uh, basically a blank check to attack protests. And just to, to give a picture of, of how draconian this bill was, uh, the UN put out a declaration complaining about democratic rights in various countries and anti-protest uh, actions. And they said, um, uh, sorry, they were, uh, they were talking, basically giving a list of countries with these problems. And they said, uh, they use names like Iran, Syria, Egypt, and then also Quebec. So that's, that's great company. The regimes, uh, the regimes, the, the despotic regimes of Iran and Egypt. Uh, so everyone was freaking out at this time, asking the leaders what they were going to do. And they said, again, it's not up to us. It's up to the members. Uh, and they called general assemblies, and the members voted to defy the law. Uh, and GND, he just went to his press conference and said, "No, we're not going to respect this law. It's anti-democratic and unconstitutional." And this is this is totally a correct approach, uh, but the bill totally backfired on uh, on the government. There's suddenly these spontaneous demonstrations everywhere, in every uh, neighborhood of Montreal. Uh, the, there was young people, old people, kids, you know, not typical students, workers. Uh, they were carrying pots and pans and banging on them. Uh, just this incredible sight. Uh, and this is what was known as the casserole protests because they had every layer of society involved. Uh, and I think this, this shows the uh, correctness of the Marx quote when he said, sometimes the revolution needs the whip of the counter-revolution. Uh, so on the 20th of May, uh, the unions promised a one-day strike. Uh, it ended up being just a lunchtime strike, but 400,000 people were there on the streets that day. Uh, and, and the end of May and into June, there was protests 
all day, every night, casserole demos, pots and pans, student demos going till 2 a.m., just so much revolutionary energy. And this continued through June and July. Uh, and uh, in, in order to make sure there was no excuse for the police to attack, uh, demonstrators would basically boo and, and shame people into not throwing things at the cops. Uh, but nonetheless, the police continued to break up the demonstrations, sometimes even on horseback. It's this totally warlike atmosphere. They would uh, surround the protests, bang on their shields to intimidate people, wait hours, and then finally go in and do mass arrests. Uh, and this is uh, this really exposes them in the eyes of the masses. This fact that like uh, they act like it's a wartime, even though the the protest is peaceful, throwing tear gas, firing baton rounds. Uh, so this has some very important lessons for the masses uh, who who learn from experience at the end of the day, not from books. And this kind of experience teaches you more uh, than you know dozens of books sometimes. Uh, so. I think the first major lesson is the fact that the law is not worth the paper it's written on unless it's backed up by force. And the problem is the power was in the streets. The police couldn't stop the protest. They could defy the law. And the other lesson is, well, it's on the role of the state in general. Uh, and they, they really learned that the state is not neutral in the struggle. It is actually a class state. It serves a particular class, the ruling class. Uh, and the government is the executive committee of the ruling class. The police are, are the paid enforcers, essentially. Uh, so the bourgeoisie, they prefer not to use this kind of repression. It's too expensive. And they'd rather convince you that, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a free launch. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's wrong to fight back or you can't win. Any of these things. Uh, this is how they, they like to do it in normal times. But in, in special circumstances, when the masses are on the streets, push comes to shove, and the interests of the ruling class are seriously threatened, they will call in the army, call in the police, uh, and pass these kinds of, of anti-democratic, anti-protest laws. Uh, and the problem is that the program of the bourgeoisie in Quebec was austerity, and they did not want to capitulate. Uh, so uh, this, this fact that the state serves the ruling class and the ruling class only, uh, it follows from this that Every serious reform actually comes from struggle, from forcing them to do it. Uh, and this is how the great reforms of the post-war happened. Uh, and this is something every movement has to reckon with. The fact that uh, we can have no illusions in the state, uh, this legislation, this uh, repression will come if they're threatened. Uh, and uh, the, the leadership needs to have the right response. They, they should not be afraid. They should explain that the anti-democratic legislation is unjust and has to be defied. You know, the law is not worth the paper it's written on and that the power of the masses is stronger than the state repression because we cannot restrict the movement to the straitjacket of bourgeois law. Imagine you pass a bill like Bill 78 and people just say, oh, go home. It's illegal to fight for our rights, even though the majority of society agrees. Well, we're just going to give up. No, we need to be willing to fight this legislation if we want to win. And this is what they did in 2012, and, and it was good. Uh, so I'm going to briefly talk about how the movement ended in the interest of time, and I'll say some more in the wrap-up. So uh, in August, the government finally called a snap election, and, and they portrayed this as basically a referendum on the student movement. Uh, you know, who is ruling, order or the streets? 
the government or the anarchy. Uh, these are the type of words they used. Uh, and, and ultimately the government uh, crumbled under this mass mobilization. Uh, there was all this uh, energy and anger and the, the PQ, one of the opposition parties, uh, they promised to cancel the tuition hike, cancel the reactionary health tax and, and Bill 78. Uh, so uh, they also got the support of the FEUQ and FECQ. So uh, because of these facts, the PQ, uh, the PQ ended up winning and the premier lost his seat. Uh, so this was the, the first time a party leader ever lost their seat while they were still leader of a major party. Uh, and the PQ did cancel the tuition hike. So the movement did ultimately win a victory. Um, now, uh, since the PQ is a bourgeois party, except the, the capitalist system and, uh, and on all these things, they still needed to carry out this austerity. It was the program of the capitalists and the economic crisis was, was too great to do anything else ultimately. Uh, so because of this, they still brought in a tuition hike the next year. Uh, they disguised it as indexing tuition to inflation or something like that, but it amounted to a 3% hike per year. Uh, but still, we can say 2012 was a victory. Uh, the education minister resigned, the ruling party was defeated, Bill 78 was cancelled, and so was the tuition increase. Uh, and that's all I'll say for now, uh, and I'll, I'll expand on a few things in the wrap-up. Thank you for listening to Fightback Radio. Fightback is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.